Welcome to episode 206 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. This show was recorded, well, throughout the summer 2013, but released the week of September 2nd, 2013. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. This week's episode of the Fredcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll find a fantastic selection of complete bikes, components, accessories, apparel, nutrition, and more, all at phenomenal prices with unparalleled customer service. When you need anything for cycling, simply go to JensenUSA.com slash TheFredCast. And by Fizari Performance Bicycles, where they design and build high-performance road and mountain bikes using the most advanced design techniques, materials, and components and they sell it all manufacturer direct for huge savings and provide you with a custom fit to ensure comfort, performance, and satisfaction. Go to fezari.com, that's F-E-Z-Z-A-R-I.com to learn more. Now, sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike, hammer just a little bit harder because here comes the Fredcast. Hey, fellow Freds, welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. This one's going to be all about product, as will the next. Uh, In this episode of the Fredcast, I have a number of interviews that I've recorded over the summer with a variety of different manufacturers for products that you will be seeing on your store shelves very, very shortly. And I wanted to bring those to you in advance of the 2013 Interbike. And by the way, I'm curious how many of you uh, have gotten invites from your local bike shop to attend Interbike this year. Let me know. Send me an email. Love to know whether or not you're going. Uh, And if you are, you'll be able to find me as always at the Media Center where we will be, where I will be hosting Interbike TV as always, uh, hosting the Good Morning Interbike Show. And we'll also do a couple of live episodes of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. Love Interbike, really looking forward to it. And speaking of Interbike and bike shops, we need to start the show by thanking our main show sponsor, and that's Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast. Now, Jensen's got a great sale going on right now, up to 40% off 2013 GT bikes. So if you've been looking for a GT road bike or a GT mountain bike, head on over to jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast, and now is the time to pick one up. And of course, I mentioned Fizari and Interbike in the same breath because I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to doing an interview on video and audio, which I'll bring to you here on the show, with the founder of Jensen USA. He's got a great story about how he started the company, and I'm really looking forward to bringing that to you. But of course, Jensen USA, you know, is the place where you can really satisfy all of the needs for everything that you need for cycling, whether it's complete bikes or nutrition, apparel, components, you name it, they've got it at phenomenal prices. And as I've told you for a long time, with unparalleled customer service, go to jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast, check them out. Once you become a customer, you'll be a customer for life. Got to thank Jensen USA as always for their support of the Fredcast and thank you for supporting Jensen. Okay, well, as I said at the top of the show, this show is going to be all about product, as will the next. Uh, This show is interviews. The next show is product reviews, a couple of products and a book as well that I've been uh, testing out over the summer, well, (laughs) both before the shoulder surgery and some of them after as well, not out on the road because I listen to the doctor and the physical therapist. Um, 
but several products that I've been testing, and that's coming up in the next episode of the Fredcast. But this show is all about interviews. I've got some interviews from Press Camp, some interviews from Dealer Camp. I know you're going to find them uh, interesting, so let's get right into them. Well, let's get right into it with a company that I was just blown away by at uh, Press Camp. I think you're all familiar with British cyclist Chris Boardman. Chris Boardman is a gold medal, an Olympic gold medal winner, uh, a holder of the hour record, uh, and someone who, well, I mean, one of his nicknames is the professor. And when you start to uh, peel away the layers of the onion when it comes to Chris Boardman and his company, what you find is a brand that didn't just take the name of a racer and slap it on the side of an open mold bicycle frame. No, this is somebody who really understands bicycle technology and how to design bicycles to ensure performance, specific performance for specific needs. So I really got a lot out of my time with them at Press Camp, and I think you will also get a lot out of the interview. So here's my interview from Press Camp earlier this summer with Boardman Bikes. You ever wonder what happens to a professional cyclist when he retires from racing? I do. Uh, and there's one professional cyclist that I am not concerned about after learning about his uh, bicycle line. I'm talking to Andy from Boardman. T- tell everybody, they should know, but if they don't know about Chris, tell them a little bit of Chris's history. Hi, yeah, well, uh, Chris Boardman, he was uh, a professional um, road cyclist and track cyclist for many years. And he raced um, through, well, from 1992, from his Olympic um, success in Barcelona in the the pursuit, uh, all the way through to his um, multiple successes in the Tour de France, wearing the yellow jersey, um, prologue wins. In fact, he still holds the record for the fastest ever prologue in the Tour de France. I think Cancelar is still chipping away at that, but with no prologue this year in the tour, I think he's safe for another year. But yeah, no, so yeah, he's, um, throughout his whole pro career, he was he was known as a professor. And I mean, if you look at images of Chris during his pro career and you you analyse the bikes he was riding, the bikes were always a little bit different to what he should have been riding. He was always very much around his marginal gains, getting as much out of his body as possible, but also out of the product that he was riding as possible as well. So sort of that dirty little secret, it may have had a name on it, but it might have been a little bit different than what he could have gotten from the manufacturer. Well, I'm not going to comment on that specifically. I don't want to get into anyone into any trouble, but I just know that Chris was, whilst he was getting as much out of his body as possible, he was certainly looking at the bikes and the product he was racing on and riding with and making sure he got those gains out of that, the product as well. But a little bit more than, than, than other racers in that Chris has been involved in, in bike design and thinking about bike design uh, for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, uh, after his pro career, Chris was not, didn't just sort of sit back and that was it. He was very much back in the thick of it. He uh, went straight out and he was the R&D director at British Cycling for two Olympic cycles. And he was fundamental to the um, to the product that the team rode in uh, both in Beijing, um, which I think was uh, in any any uh, Olympic discipline, probably uh, Team GB's uh, most successful um, successful Olympics. And then obviously through uh, London last year as well in, uh, in the Olympics in London. Yeah, he was R&D director there. So fundamental to the uh, to the product design of the, the bikes and the kit that the team were riding. So, yeah. And, and so, again, I'm going to use this phrase, unlike some brands where you, I walk into the suites and maybe sometimes that's the same bike just with different decals that I've seen uh, from, an, from an open mold. This is not a brand of open mold bikes. 
Yeah, um, from the very um, start of the, when we first started with the, the Borman bike brand in the UK, Chris was very much around, this is not a badging job. He wouldn't have even done that. Um, he, did, he wouldn't even entertain the, the, the prospect of that. This is very much around him putting his experience, knowledge and um, what he knows and what he's done in the past and also looking to the future and looking at where, where he can push bike design and technology and putting it into a range of product. It's his name on a down tube. He's got one chance of doing this, and he wants to do it right. Yeah. And so when we look at the bikes, uh, just what, what are the, the different bikes in the range? Then we'll talk a little bit about the road bike specifically. Yeah, I mean, for the North American market, we are bringing in three different frame platforms. Uh, we are bringing in an Air TT frame platform, which is exactly the same um, frame as Pete Jacobs won the Hawaii Ironman on. We're bringing the uh, Aero uh, road, uh, Air Road platform as well, which is the same frame that the Brownleys won the Olympics on. And we're bringing our SLR, um, Super Light Racing, uh, platform in as well. So a TT bike, a couple of, of road bikes. W what are some of the, the innovations, some of the differences between a Boardman road bike, for instance, and some of the competitors? Okay, well, uh, with our Boardman road bike, what we've done is we've identified the fact that um, we, there's... Uh, there is, there's, we've not gone down the middle, middle of the road kind of route to, um, to, to the product. We've very much looked at the, uh, the consumer and look at what the consumer needs. And so therefore, we've gone down the route of having two specific types of bike. We've chosen both the aero road platform and also a super light uh, platform. So for the consumer who wants the ultimate in terms of performance and speed, and we've very much got the aero road platform, which takes all of Chris's um, learnings on aerodynamics. And also from a general, from being a pro road rider himself as well, from handling and geometry and put it into a road package. And we've also gone down the super light racing platform as well, uh, which gives the rider a frame weight, a sub 900 gram raw frame weight uh, with a geometry which is very stable and gives them a very stiff, very light and very nice handling bike. Uh, but without the, uh, but in much more of a traditional kind of package. Um, I, I, just because even though I don't have a lot of listeners who are time trial riders, uh, uh, the, the, the bike is just, sorry to use this phrase, it's just too attractive not to discuss. Tell us about some of the innovations in that bike. Uh, on the TT bike? Okay, well, the TT bike, um, the key, key, key innovations on that bike is yet one is the, the tube profiles themselves. The tube profiles themselves have been very carefully designed, uh, utilizing CFD analysis, um, wind tunnels, etc., and have been designed around real, really around real-world conditions. So it's not just about achieving a really good result in a head-on in a, in a wind tunnel. It's about real-world riding conditions. So that's about crosswinds and designing the bike around up to 20 degrees of uh, of yaw, for example, means that the bike performs as well in crosswinds as it does in headwinds. And it's really around designing a bike which Pete Jacobs could um, we could help Pete Jacobs on his way to his Ironman success. So it's a bike about a, ride, a bike that's not just aerodynamic, but it handles really well. Uh, so it's a really fast bike. Also weight-wise, we've kept the weight to a minimum as well. Because uh, obviously uh, weight is always an issue. As soon as the road goes up, then weight becomes an issue. So yeah, it was, um, and also the, one of the key, I guess, innovations on our, on our um, bike is the fact that the, the um, front uh, brake is hidden inside the fork. And we've done that because um, we, our CFD analysis shows us, and you can actually see, we actually demonstrate this on our website, that you can, uh, if you hide the brake inside the fork, there's a tangible benefit to doing that. You reduce the drag significantly off the front end of the bike. Uh, it's not just about hiding the brake behind the fork. It, you've got to actually enclose it within the fork. So, yeah, that's a real innovation for our, for our bike. 
Now, on the on the roadside, uh, who do you see as, uh, at least here in the North American market, as your target audience? What kind of a rider are you targeting these bikes at? Okay, well, we're, we're targeting these bikes at the kind of rider who appreciates um, performance, and they appreciate the fact that, um, that, that you can do things with the product that do enhance the performance of the bike. So with our aero road bike, for example, uh, we're, we're looking for the kind of rider who, who, who knows that aerodynamics is a, is a, is a benefit. But, but we, we do aerodynamics in a way in which we don't compromise other elements of the ride. So yeah, give me give me an example of that because Aero Road has sort of become this new category in the states in the last few years, and and has and a lot of brands have come out with their own version of Aero Road. What makes yours really stand out? Well, the uh, from a tube profile perspective, we take the same learning as we did on our TT bike, and we adopt it into our um, into our um, Aero Road bike. Uh, but we also do that in a way in which we don't compromise the other elements. So weight, for example, um, our a 9.8 complete bike still weighs in at sub UCI weight limit at around 14 and a half pounds. So whilst you get the aerodynamic benefit, you're not getting any of the um, the compromise which you're generally there with, a, with an aero, aero road bike. Also handling wise, our geometry has been very carefully considered uh, to mean that you get a great handling bike that's comfortable in long long distances, but you also still get that you don't get you don't compromise any of that aerodynamic advantage. Yeah. Now, for the high-end roadie who's not looking for the aero bike, uh, is the SLR. Tell us about this and, and really the kind of rider that you're targeting here. Okay, yeah, well, the SLR is designed for that kind of rider uh, who's, who's looking for a bike which is as light as possible, but without any uh, compromising strength or stiffness. We have no rider weight limits on any of our bikes. All bikes come with a, uh, a frame with it, which has a raw frame weight of around 895 grams um, for the medium to large size. So, yeah, so it's the kind of rider who's looking for a build, which is very, very light. I mean, uh, uh, nine, uh, SLR 9.8, for example, weighs in at around about 6.1 kilos. So again, super light, uh, yeah, and, but no, no um, compromise in stiffness and strength. The kind of rider is out all day. Uh, he's climbing, he's maybe he's out there. And I mean, I must admit, I'm out here in, uh, in uh, Park City at the moment. And I must admit, I, we climbed up to must have been about nine and a half thousand feet. And I'll be honest, I was glad I had the SLR underneath me. Yeah, I must admit. It's like kind of the kind of rider is out all day. He wants a little bit. He wants to be an, a bike that's as, as light as possible, handles really, really well. He's climbing a lot. He's descending. Just an all-round kind of bike to uh, to ride on. You can race on it, sportif on it, yeah, whichever. Yeah, it's a very versatile bike. Now, you're, you're, you're really breaking into the North American market now. Uh, what about price points on the products that we've discussed? Is that something that's been set, or is that something that you're, you're still uh, developing? Um, we're trying to give the North American consumer as much product and spec as possible for the price point. So our, uh, our SLR range, for example, starts at um, $2,700. For that, you get our SLR uh, frame platform. And again, as I said, it's um, sub 900 gram raw frame weight. Uh, you get Shimano 105 kit on it. Uh, Mavic Axiom wheel set, so it's a great kind of no compromise, uh, entry level super light uh, bike. The air range starts at um, $3,200. Uh, for that, you get exactly the same frame as the Brownies won the Olympics on, so you get a truly aerodynamic racing bike uh, with Shimano Ultegra gearing, FSA chain set, and a Mavic wheel set again. So, again, it's a great um, entry to our range. And gives you a uh, yeah an aero road bike with all the benefits at a good price point. Now, considering that, w w you have to ask, w what about the materials? What about the the carbon that you're using? Do you do you go to a lower level carbon as you go down in price point? Uh, let's talk about those materials you're using. 
Okay, well, on our, uh, on our Elite range, we don't go any lower than T800 carbon. So we use a Torre T800 carbon. So we use a very high grade of carbon across the whole range. The only time it differs is on our 9.8 level product, where we use a little bit of the higher modulus carbon on the uh, chainstay and the BB area. So you're giving, I mean, at a, at a really nice mid-level price, you're giving a very high level of materials in the frames. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the Boardman name is on the frame itself. So the last thing you want to do is compromise the bit, which is the core to the, to the, to the bike. It's the heart of the bike. It's the bit we see the consumer buying into. And therefore, we see the consumer maybe upgrading around the, the frame itself. That's the part which is the heart of the bike and the bit we feel is, well, it's the bit if I was buying a bike, it's the first bit I'd be looking at is what's the frame? How much, how long I want to keep the frame for five, five years or more. And I'm going to be upgrading around it, but I want to make sure that frame is as good as it can possibly be. So yeah, we put as much into that as possible. Now we were talking earlier that you're really building out your dealer base right now. So if folks can't find your bikes in their local d dealer and they want to get more information, where can they go? Uh, the best place to go um, first off is go to our website and then they can be then redirected to our North American um, sales director, Fletch Newland, who can then point them in the right direction. Is uh, www.boardmanbikes.com. There you go, boardmanbikes.com. Folks, thank you so much for taking me through the line. It's clear that Chris has really uh, given a lot of thought to this and that these are innovative designs on some really, really nice bikes. Thanks so much for talking to us about it. Uh, thank you very much. You know, at heart, when I, when I started the Fredcast, it was because I'm a bike nerd. I'm a total bike geek. And I got to tell you, <laughs> this definitely scratched that itch. I was really impressed with what uh, Chris and the rest of the team have put together. So uh, thanks to them for that interview. Really enjoyed taking a look at their line. Well, next up is a company that I had the great opportunity of also interviewing at Press Camp, and it's a company whose apparel I have worn before and have found to be some of the most comfortable cycling apparel that I've had the opportunity to own and wear. And again, cycling apparel that I've paid out of my own pocket for, so uh, it's always good to get that kind of a recommendation. Uh, and we're talking about Capo Cycling, C-A-P-O, Capo Cycling Apparel. Met them at Press Camp this year, had an opportunity to talk to them just a little bit about their line because there's so many layers, again, to their line as well. We could really only scratch the surface. But here is my interview from Press Camp earlier this summer with Capo Cycling. There's a lot of changes in cycling apparel these days, and I'm standing in the suite of, well, what seems to me to be an innovator in cycling apparel. I'm talking to Gary. He's from Capo. Gary, tell me a little bit of the history of Capo before we talk about some of the innovations and, and really what makes Capo stand out. Thank you very much, David. Capo Cycling Apparel came to market uh, seven years ago, heavily influenced on uh, Italian design themes and Italian technology. We really wanted products uh, to work together, not to be a standalone product, but provide a solution that impacts a cyclist uh, in a positive way that is fashion forward, that is durable, that gives the end user a great value uh, in peril, and it makes them look unique. What was the genesis of the brand? I know that there were really two of you who started the company. What made you decide to get into cycling apparel? Uh, Rob Carbone's my uh, my business partner, longtime friend for over over 20 years, uh, and you know we had been riding a long time together, and we we saw some gaps in the in the marketplace in the products that uh, that we were using, and we were both you know uh, 10 plus years into the technology arena, and we were looking to go out on our own and, and start a business, and we really saw this void within the within the industry at that time on the apparel side. Went and did about nine months worth of uh, research and talking to a lot of dealers in Northern California and some nationwide. 
on some of the thoughts that we were having about building uh, a cycling apparel company. Uh, and based on our philosophy and what the, pro the product we were going to build, that technology always trumps price and that we want to impact the, uh, the cyclists in a positive way. And that you really wanted to blend the kind of fashion side uh, of cycling with the technical side to impact the rider in a positive way and to make you look unique. It's really how we develop the brand and what the brand stands for. So I'm hearing technology, fashion, function. Tell me how those work together and what you did to make sure and what you continue to do to make sure that you're giving the cyclist comfort, good technology, and something that's going to work for them, whether they're riding their bike to commute or they're doing a double century. Absolutely. And that's what, that's what gets Rob and I up in the, in the mornings is, you know, I'm blending these three types of, of, of groups together to have the best possible product. And I think for a consumer, when you walk into a retail environment, the first thing, it's got to catch your eye. It's got to look European. It's got to ooze Italian. And, that, and that's, that's one of the hardest things for Rob and I to do is the design side, the graphical side, and taking those graphics that they, they get people excited to, to, to ride their bike. And you take that graphical sense and get it on uh, to a garment. And get it onto a garment that's going to last uh, for at least two seasons. And that's going to support somebody, whether they're doing a 10-mile uh, mountain bike ride for 2,600 feet, or if they're going to go out and do a double century and spend 12 hours in a saddle, where you have fabrics that have SPF 50 built into them, antimicrobial, anti-odor, that have cold black technology that's going to reduce the ambient temperature of the rider by 20 for, uh, 20% that is going to help them use less energy over that 12-hour uh, period. Or chamois that we call the six-hour chamois, the anatomic uh, 4G, you know, carbon. You know, it's really, riders now in the U.S. that we see, they want to look unique, but they want the product to last, and it needs to impact them. It needs to help them with their with their event or, or what they're doing, and that's what we try to do at Capo Cycling Apparel. Now, you mentioned you want it to look Italian. You want it to ooze that sort of roady look if you're talking about road apparel you're making a lot of your product uh, in italy you're sourcing from europe let's talk about your supply chain and your manufacturing absolutely um you know rob and i are both italian americans we grew up in italian households so there's a lot of there's a lot of unique philosophies and values you know in growing up my family's from northern italy rob's is from southern italy um, i'm able to see my family at least once a year over there so it's still important you know i, I get to interact with them and, you know, Rob and I feel that the, the birthplace of cycling was Italy. The, the technology is there. The expertise is there. Um, you know, just it's, it's that whole look and feel that you can almost tell of a design, a designer or, or um, a product is from Italy just on the way, the appearance uh, of it. And it goes back to, you know, there's, there's so much technology available over there, whether it's zippers, grippers, textiles, fabrics, lycras, it's available over there, and there still is a ton of, of manufacturing. And we feel that if we could build 100% of our products there, uh, we would. Um, you know, based on some economic situations that are going on over there and capacity, we've had to move some stuff around, but 90% of our products are built in Italy. And the reason being that the raw materials are there and they're some of the best in the world and the manufacturing expertise is there. Rob and I being Italian Americans, it's, it was important to us to have our garments built there. Um, and I think, you know, the people tend to look at these things now, nowadays where 90% is built in Italy and we're also doing manufacturing in the U.S., you know, and uh, we're an Italian-American company. There's no doubt about it. And, and so that really translates into the style of the garment and also something we talked about earlier, the safety of the garment. Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, there's more and more people obviously on the roads, on bicycles, whether it's a newer rider or a very seasoned person that's been riding a, a bike for, for 30 years. 
um, there's more people in the U.S. and we're having to share the roads more and more. Uh, in some parts of the country, it's better than others uh, with the bike lanes. But if there's a way that we can make the cyclists more visible, uh, maybe to reduce uh, these interactions with cars on both sides, we're going to do that. Uh, you know, i.e. the the flow yellow kits uh, that we're doing. So they're very high visible uh, kits that still look good. You don't lose the technology all the way to our brand new Padrone high vis, which this is a game changer for people that commute or that ride at night where you have a fabric that looks normal our super black fabric that looks black during the day. But as soon as light hits it, it illuminates where you have a, a bib short that's built with some of this technology or short sleeve jersey, a vest uh, and a jacket. You know, these are products when you see images of this uh, in the morning or at night that the riders completely illuminated uh, uh, within the riding position and it's going to give that visibility that the car is going to say Hold, what, what am I coming up on I need to slow down and pay attention to what this is so again if we can make the riders uh, safety at the forefront of it we're going to try to do that and that's what we've done with the Padrone High Viz now not only do you have the safety but you also have the performance and I think when a lot of people think of Capo and frankly before I walked through the door today when I thought of Capo I thought of the ultimate high-end very expensive brand. And certainly you've got those very high-end uh, uh, garments. But at the same time, you've really got quite the wide range. So you can fit um, the budgets, if you will, of a lot of cyclists now, can't you? Yep. We want to appeal to every, every type of cyclist, uh, every uh, way, shape, and form, uh, and everything. It's really allowed us to expand the product offering and some of the dealers that we work with nationwide and, and globally. Uh, you know, we're shipping to nine different countries in, in the world now. So there's a huge requirement on the types of riders and the types of garments that we need to produce. So we've broken this up into three categories. You have our courses series, which is our entry-level product, which is comfort and quality. Then you have our super courses series, which is our Italian-influenced designs, more race-inspired inspired uh, cuts, some different leg links and arm links uh, on those to our super high in our GS Capo ATS advanced technology systems, which are our highest level of products with a ton of technology built into it, such as the high gauge compression Lycra, such as the cold black technology that's going to reduce the ambient temperature of the garment and the rider by 20%. And also the SPF 50, everybody's talking about obviously skin cancer and the amount of miles of the time that we're out in the, in the sun. So these garments are going to give more protection to the riders. But you know, we offer a huge myriad of of garments and price points where you can take our entry-level jersey at $70, uh, which is our Riga jersey, all the way up to the Drago jersey at $250, or our entry-level Riga short at $80, all the way up to the Drago short at, at $300, where you know you still are getting Italian and Swiss textiles, mostly you know be there built in Italy, Eastern Europe, or in the or in the U.S. And something you mentioned earlier, designed to work together as a system. Absolutely. If you look at our garments, you know, depending on where you're riding, your geographic location, you can have huge weather weather changes. Northern California, we could leave in the morning and it can be, uh, you're going to be in the high 30s when you're commuting to, to work. So you need a garment that's going to work in that temperature change. But when you leave at 4.30 or 5 or 6 o'clock at night, it could be in the mid-50s. You're not going to be able to wear a thermal jacket home and, and thermal bib tights. You're going to over overheat. So you want to have that flexibility where you're pulling on, pulling on and off garments, where we offer a lighter weight Legero jacket jacket and the GS13 and winter bib shorts where you can put different accessories on. You can use different uh, different level base layers or different weight base layers. I can have a knee warmer, a leg warmer, and I'd be able to peel those off uh, to ride home. So it's not about an individual product. It's about a system or a solution that can impact the rider in a positive way, depending on what climate and where they're riding. Yeah. Now, besides the, the range of prices that I told you surprised me earlier, the other thing that surprised me was the high percentage of custom that you're doing. Let's speak to that. 
absolutely the, the, the custom market is it, it's 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 blowing up in the in the U.S. and I think the, the the riders are finally starting to see that hey I can get customized products for the company that I work at for the ten guys and girls that 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 we ride with that there's a lot of riders that they want to look unique they don't want to wear something off the shelf and this is a huge European influence that you know it's it's definitely gathered steam over the last ten years in in the U.S. Um, our business is 50-50 custom uh, and inline. Um, we do a lot of it with our retail partners where, you know, you might have your local dealer that has, um, you know, their custom shop jersey. We take it to the next level where they're doing jerseys, they're doing arm warmers, they're doing bib shorts, they're doing socks, they're doing cycling caps. So that shop might have their own team or club, or they might just sell it at a retail level for their customers that want something that's unique and is unique to that shop because that's, that's, where, that's where they go. And there's a loyalty uh, to that shop. So the custom apparel, you know, there's many different uh, vendors that are, that are doing it. Again, we focus on those three buckets that we just talked about: a verticals, course, a super course, and GS Capo. So any product that you see within our inline collection, we can develop on, on, a, on a custom level for you also. Yeah. Now you're talking about making jerseys for your local dealer, and obviously, if you want to get more information about Capo, you want to see Capo, you can certainly go to your local dealer. But if they don't want to go to their local dealer and they want to get some more information at home, where can they go? Capocycling.com. That's our technical website. That'll have all the information of our inline collections, price points, and also full offering of our custom cycling apparel. That's excellent. Gary, thank you so much for your time today and for talking to us briefly about Capo Cycling Apparel. Thank you very much, Dave. Have a great afternoon. So there you go. My interview from 2013 Press Camp with Capo Cycling Apparel. Go ahead and check them out as well. Well, Press Camp is one of my favorite events every year, and unfortunately this year I was really only able to be there for a few hours. I told you it's been a busy summer, both uh, personally and professionally as well. And one of the companies that was at Press Camp this year is Fizari Bicycles, F-E-Z-Z-A-R-I, Bicycles. And there was no need for me to stop by their suite because I've been riding a Fizari 4A CR5 uh, for a number of months and have just been, well, totally impressed uh, by the quality of the bicycle uh, and, well, quite frankly, the, the price of the bicycle as well. Let me tell you a little bit about the 4A CR5. The CR5 is an all-carbon monocoque frame with a Fizari Racing Design carbon front fork. Now, the bike comes with Shimano Dura-Ace 9000, uh, as well as FSA cranks and chain rings and bottom bracket, uh, an FSA K-Force carbon handle, handlebar, uh, as well as uh, an FSA K-Force carbon fiber seat post. Plus, the bike also comes equipped with Reynolds Assault carbon clincher wheels. Now, that sounds like a pretty expensive bike, right? No, you're talking about a bike that goes to you direct from the manufacturer at a price of $4,599. No, there's nothing wrong with my recording. $4,599. I would say that from almost any other manufacturer, you're talking about a bike that we is going to retail to you for between $7,500 and maybe ten dollars or $11,000. And this is no open mold, carbon copy, if you'll excuse the pun, road bike. This is a bike that is designed specifically to Fazari's specifications, built under the quality control of Fazari, shipped directly to Fazari right here in Utah. And then when you order the bike, they build it specifically 
to your custom specifications so that when it comes to you out of the box, it fits you. You don't need to go to your local bike shop and get a two, three, four, five hundred dollar custom fitting because the bike is coming to you custom fit. Now I've been riding this bike uh, since about May, and I have to tell you, it has it has taken my cycling up another notch. Now listen, I was riding a Colnago before. Okay, so it's not like I was riding some slouch or bike, but I am a better, more capable cyclist thanks to my Fazari 4A CR5. I see it in the climbs, I see it in the sprints, I see it when I'm on long rides up to 100 miles and more. Now, maybe you're not looking for a Dura-Ace level bike and you're looking for something a little bit less expensive. Fazari makes a wide range of road and mountain bikes to fit everyone's budget. If you are thinking about buying a new bike, do yourself a favor before you do anything else. Make sure you check out Fazari. You can find Fazari online at fazari.com. That's F as in Frank, E as in Edward, double Z as in zebra, A-R-I.com. Make sure you check them out. You'll be glad that you did. And if you do, make sure you let them know that you heard about it right here on the Fredcast. Well, one of the companies that was returning to Press Camp this year that we also spoke with last year is Cali Protectives. I was really impressed with them last year and wanted to stop by their suite again this year to learn what was new from Cali because I was so impressed with what they were doing in the past. So here is my interview from the 2013 Press Camp with Cali Protectives. Last year at Press Camp, we were introduced to Cali Protectives, and we talked to Brad. Brad is, by trade, an engineer. And now, when, when I say you're an engineer, I mean, you've worked on some pretty high-end stuff. Tell us where you really cut your teeth in engineering. I got to work for a company called Northrop Grumman. Uh, the first airplane I worked on was the B-2 Stealth Bomber. Um, got to crawl through it, the final assembly, and see what that was all built about. Um, from there, I moved on to some other airplanes. I worked on something called the Joint Strike Fighter, F-18s, and a few others that never made it to the air. Brad and I were geeking out on sailboats before. We're going to geek out on airplanes. But before we do that, um, what really got you interested in uh, helmets? And specifically, I know that your first helmets were not bicycle helmets. What really got you into helmets? Well, I was a cyclist. Um, While I was working in aerospace, I was a cyclist and, um, you know, got lucky like any other engineer who rides a bike you get an opportunity to work for a bike company you jumped on it so i got a job at specialized and started working there initially um eventually i moved on to working on bike frames i worked on um things like the carbon robay and the carbon um uh, tarmac and bikes like that but uh i moved on from there and got the opportunity to start a carbon fiber factory in china so we we started building helmet shells for other companies, for other factories. And um, we were taking a look at the test results and we really didn't like what we were seeing. With a motorcycle helmet, you see this initial spike, this spike in G-forces. And then as the shell breaks down, you see this G-forces fall, you hit the foam and they spike back up. So you're having this double spike. So think what's happening inside your skull. Your brain is floating around going back and forth you can have as bad of injury on the opposite side of the impact as the side you got hit on my favorite example is that hockey player that slips and hits his head and he ends up in the back of his head he gets two black eyes in in the front well that's from his head his brain slapping forward we wanted to slow that down we wanted to figure out a way to keep that double spike from happening so 
we looked at bicycle helmets and how they're in molded. Why wasn't motorcycle helmets in molded? So we took that on and um, and we tried to to in mold a motorcycle helmet. That's that little question took us three years. <laughs> now define because we talked about this last year, but I want to remind everybody as we move forward into into 2013 and beyond. I want to remind everybody what that means in molding. Realizing it's audio, try to describe for everybody what that looks like. I think I can do that pretty simply. Normally, you know, when you construct a helmet uh, on the motorcycle side and in many years ago on a bicycle side, you made your shell and you made your foam and you stuck them together. You glued them, Velcroed them, taped them. You know, even some of the cheapest helmets are still taped together now. And we all remember that our shells came off of our bicycle helmets. And even on some of our motorcycle helmets, you could see that the foam would come loose. What we do, um, very similar to a bicycle helmet, is we take that motorcycle shell helmet we put it inside the mold and we inject the foam in place so now that that is a bond between the two they 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 it's injected to fill every gap there is gaps are bad you got that air gap between and that's where that foam that i talked about that shell has to break down before it gets to the part that saves your head which is the foam we want that to happen more immediately we find that because we've made that happen right up against it we can thin the shell out because the foam's right there to back it up now. It's not a separate entity. Now they're both together. We can thin the shell out. We can lower the density of the foam. We start to dissipate the energy faster. We're talking milliseconds. It's an extremely short period of time, but it makes a difference. So now your helmet starts to crush quickly. And, and, and what we saw last year was the Maraca helmet. Uh, and there have been some, some additional changes in that helmet and some new things. And, and you've got a great example of the number of pieces that are in that helmet. Earlier, you were describing to me the complexity of building it and the number that are built uh, every single day. Give everybody an idea of the technology that goes into that helmet. We threw a lot of things at that helmet. We were trying to look to make that best, the best helmet we knew how to make. And the Morocco helmet is, we have a road version and a cross-country version. And um, what we have is we have the, the geometric shapes inside in the shape of cones. Um, the idea of that is kind of like crumple zone. So when it crushes, the energy spreads laterally, not just linearly. Okay, so now that energy that would have gone straight to your head gets directed to the side. So we have the cone head technology in there. Additionally, the problem with the the issue with with helmets with lots of big vents in it is you have to have you only have a small area to put a lot of foam in. Well, that's high-density foam. We don't believe in that. We want a light-density foam. So what we've done is we've added these reinforcements around the vents. What, we, what that's for is when it hits those reinforcements, it spreads the load over a greater area of foam. Using more foam allows us to lower the density of the foam. So now we can use a, a, a foam density that's not going to crack your head. So by going to a lower-density foam... You're going to something that's able to spread the impact out more. You've got the uh, the reinforcements around the vents, and you've got these cone head technologies, as you called it, uh, to spread it out laterally. Uh, what other innovations are in that helmet? There's something that we've been working on for a while. Is this, it's a viscoelastomeric foam. And our initial reason for looking at this was to help with low G impacts. And we're still looking at that very closely. Define a low G impact. What, what, what would a, in what case would a cyclist have a low G impact? Well, it, it, 
it's you know you might have fallen over if you will Couldn't get out of your pedals maybe <laughs> that's a great example where it's not a high speed impact but you know you, you maybe you got your arm down first and you still hit but you can still experience 100 g's 150 g's when your helmet is built really hard and the foam is too stiff it doesn't start kicking in and it doesn't start dissipating the energy till you know 150 or more g's so you might be taking off taking care of those high impacts but you also can get that concussion down below that so we started looking at it for the reasons of taking care of some of those lower g's we still are studying that um it's very i'm really obsessed with this low g thing right now because i think it's an important part of helmets that has been ignored what we found however when we use this is it's a softer foam and that foam it's more comfortable. So what we have found by using, we call it bumper fit, is it helps with that low G impact. But additionally, we find very few people that don't find this helmet to be very comfortable. It takes those hot spots out. You know, if you have a spot on a helmet, you know, and you, you know what they are, oh, my head hurts when I hit this on most helmets. Well, we've taken those hot spots out. Now, because of all the technology, how many can you make an hour a day? We, we can make two in about 45 minutes. Um, it's, it, it, and I always question, well, what do you care? I mean, what does the consumer care? What does that mean to the consumer? And, and at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter to you how long it takes us to make that. But I will tell you the importance to us is that we're willing to push the technology to find out, to go to the next level. If you don't take that first step and make that helmet that's really hard to make or make anything that's really hard to make, you don't take that chance. You don't take the time to go figure it out. Since then, we've been able to work on things to help us get those numbers down and redesigned other helmets that are coming out with similar technologies that we can bring those price points down. One of the things, before we move to those other helmets, because I do want to talk about that, two, two questions. Number one, when you say that you can only, only make a couple every few, you know, every, every hour, most people would think that that means that the retail price must be pretty darn high. What are we talking about in the way of a retail price for the Morocco? We're at 189. Um, it's it's not crazy high, um, but it, it, well, but for the level of technology that's in it, and for the the, the sort of handmade care that you put into it, I, th I think that that's more than reasonable. But the other thing that I wanted to focus on, and just because it's cool to me, are the vents, the shape of the vents. Uh, you you told me a cool story about that. Um, they may look familiar to some people. Why? Well, uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I worked on the F-18, and, and um, the, the first version of the F-18 was the AB. Those were trainer-tested planes. The CD was the, uh, the plane that was mostly used in production. Well, I worked on the EF version, which is the, the difference is the CD version was mostly aluminum. We were making that aircraft into a mostly carbon fiber aircraft. And if you look at the intake vents of the F-18 C and D, um, they ha look like a D shape. They're oval on one side with a, a line on the other. Well, we found during development and testing, we could ram more air into a more uh, longer square shape. And, and so when we sat down to design this helmet, I sat down with the industrial designers and said, I want to make a, a I want to make a event that looks more like that shape. Hopefully it'll ram more air through. It's an aggressive shape, and it's a, it's a, it, it's an attractive helmet. I, I called it sexy earlier, so you know I just, I just thought it was neat. Now, that's not your only that that's available in a mountain version. It's also available in a road version. 
but you've also got some new road helmets as well. Tell us about the Phenom. Yeah, the Phenom has several similar technologies. It has the what we call the the the, the bumper fit in it. It has the super vents in it to help spread the load. It has the geometric shapes inside, so it's still meant to dissipate the energy more aggressively, lower the density of the foam. We believe soft foam is better for you and better next to your head. Um, and because we've we've simplified how we make it, we can make more of them. We can bring the price down to $149 price point. We did leave the carbon fiber piece out of it. I mean, even though I'm a carbon fiber engineer and it's my passion and love, we said, okay, maybe that helmet doesn't need to have that carbon fiber piece in there. Sure. And then uh, a little bit lower down the line, you've got another road helmet as well. We do. It's called the Loca. Um, it, it has uh, the, the geometric shapes inside, so the cones to, to help dissipate the energy. Um, it does not have all of the, um, the, the vent reinforcements, and that's because as it goes further down the line, it's, it has more foam in it anyway, so it, we can take some technology out to bring the price point down. I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curve, something we didn't talk about before, but something I've been thinking about as we've been sitting here talking for the last half hour, 45 minutes, and that is, you know, there's a lot of helmet companies out there. There's a lot of protective headwear firms. What is it that brings a consumer to Cali? Why is it that you find that that your dealers are, are sold out? Why are people coming to your company over someone else? Wow. <laughs> Great question. Um, I hope it's because they see the passion in what we do and that, you know, at the end of the day, we really care about what we're doing. And it's not that the other companies don't, they do. Um, you know, we come from a development background an R and D background. We want to, we want to try new things. We want to push things and it's not that others don't, but I think we have the capability. We're small enough, nimble enough. We own, you know, our processes so that we can, we can make the changes necessary to, you know, try new things. There was something you said earlier that struck me as a dad myself, something that you said that struck me. And you said it several times. You said, and I'll, maybe I'll let you say it, but it was about your kids and about your helmets. Uh, you, you said, let's see if you remember. Yeah, I won't put any helmet out on the market that I won't let my kids wear. And I think that for those of you who are parents or just for those of you who just understand, you know, what I just saw in his eyes when he said that, uh, I think that it's really critical is that you're talking about somebody who is passionate about safety. And if it's something that they won't put their kids in, maybe it's something you don't want to put your head in. So uh, thank you for telling us more about Cali. Again, let everybody know where they can get more information. Uh, www.caliprotectives.com. Excellent. Thanks again. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you very much. You know, I, I realized that that interview took place, well, weeks ago. Um, but uh, I'm still struck by the look he had in his eyes when I asked him about his kids uh, and also about what what draws people to Cali. Uh, so I'd encourage you to check it out, caliprotectives.com. Uh, really an interesting story, uh, an interesting guy, and I think that they've got some really uh, interesting designs and ideas about uh, protecting your noggin. Next up, I had the opportunity to stop by the the suite for rotor bike components. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with rotor. I had the opportunity to interview them uh, as part of my Interbike TV gig a couple of years ago and was struck by their value proposition, 
as well as the number of professional cyclists who are using rotor components to win races. And that's one of the reasons why in the limited amount of time that I had at this year's press camp, I chose to spend some of that time with rotor. I think that you will find this very interesting. Here's my interview with rotor bike components. Every year at Press Camp, we see a lot of new innovations and an innovation which has been around for perhaps hundreds of years, but really is coming into the forefront of technology in bicycles right now, uh, is a non-round chain ring. I'm talking to Phil from Rotor. Phil, explain the benefits of using a Q-ring. The main benefit of using a Q-ring is that your bicycle's drivetrain works for you. And the very clear benefit of that is increased performance, comfort, and more enjoyment of the ride. I, I like it when you say enjoy the ride. That's something I say on the show all the time. Um, when we talk about uh, putting on a set of Q-rings, what's the first thing that a rider is going to notice when they start using your product? Well, when they're going uphill, they're going to notice they're much more on top of the gears, that they're spinning a lot more smoothly, that they feel like a much more capable cyclist. When they're on the flats, if they're riding at a very high cadence, it might take them a little while to get used to the feeling of the non-circular ring. Again, that's because the drivetrain is working for your legs and you're used to fighting against a round chain ring. Now, what is it about uh, the Q-ring that gives the rider that feeling when they're going up the hill? We are varying the resistance in the drivetrain according to what your leg can and cannot do. This design is a design defined by science and by biomechanics. We looked at what the legs can and cannot do, and then we changed the resistance in the drivetrain to be in line with that, yet still work perfectly with derailers. So while all of us have been going around in circles with our legs for years, you're saying our legs really aren't made to do that. There is nobody who can deliver the same power in the up and down stroke as they do over the top and the bottom. We only have two legs, we're a two-cylinder engine. If you wanna be able to deliver a constant circular power, you'd need four legs or more. Obviously, we don't have that, which means that there's no logic in having linear resistance in the drivetrain because we can't deliver linear power. Therefore, in our perspective, the only logical way to have a drivetrain is to have varying resistance in line with what you can and can't do. Now, how does Rotor do that? Because one of the things that we were talking about earlier is the fact that not only is it non-round, but there's some adjustability in here as well. How does that work? Not every cyclist uh, reaches his maximum power at the same angle. Uh, that's down to a whole list of factors. Uh, the way the cyclist pedals, but it's also your bike geometry, your saddle position, the length of your leg. There's so many issues that influence it. So we found out very early that the product need to, to be adaptable to each individual cyclist. So we came up with a system that allows us to change the angle of the crank in regards to the chain ring so that if you arrive at maximum power later, you can spin the crank further. If you arrive earlier, you lift the crank back up. And it's a very simple process. You'd think it's complicated. It's quite simple to find what's the right position for me. And it's very easy to know if you're in the right or the wrong position. Now, that probably begs a question for in a lot of people's minds. Okay, but I've got... FSA cranks, I've got Dura-Ace or Altegra. How will I get this product on my bike? Will it fit my bike? 
Yes, it does. Uh, as a company philosophy, we don't believe in exclusiveness. We don't believe in preventing people combining our products with other products. So we intentionally design our chain rings to work with most all cranks on the market. There's one or two exceptions simply because we don't have the capacity to make everything. But as a general guideline, you can put our rings on your crank and get the full performance benefit of the non-circular chain ring on the bike you have now. You had a little rhyme for that. I'm sorry. You're going to have to say it on the microphone. Okay. Well, that, that was for our, uh, our crank sets. Right. Our well, let's talk about your crank sets before we do that. So you've got the rings, but really you've got components of a system. But I say components for a reason because you were explaining that earlier. Yeah, we have a philosophy that we believe that the customer should be able to choose the exact setup that he wants. Mm -hmm. Lots of brands will sell a crank with only one set of rings. If the customer wants a different set of rings, then he's gonna have to buy that additionally. So our philosophy is let the customer choose exactly what they want. So if you want a 110, 172 road double crank with a 5236, you can have that. If you want 5238, you can have that as well. It allows you to pick and choose the exact solution for your needs. So that philosophy also uh, was the driving reason behind our crank collection. Uh, we have a whole range of cranks and they all fall within what we call the UBB concept. The UBB concept is the universal BB. It's very simple. This crank will fit your bike. Uh, there's one exception, there's a rhyme for it. And unfortunately, not all of our cranks fit all bikes because it's the crank you want on the bike you own unless you ride a Trek Madone. Now, what does that mean? That means that the Trex BB system does not allow for our 30 millimeter crank sets to be installed on that bicycle. You can install our 24 millimeter axle crank sets. So there is a rotor solution if you want a rotor crank on that bike. However, with almost any other bicycle on the market of any other bottom bracket system from any other brand, you can choose either our 30 millimeter or our 24. And let me go through the list so that people are following us. BSA, BB86, BB30, BB Riot, uh, any system, frankly, the consumer can choose, I want a 24 or I want a 30 millimeter axle on this bike. Again, the rhyme, it's the crank you want on the bike you own. Now, one, and, and thank you for that because that's important that people understand that you've got the complete system and that it will fit their bike. I know that in Europe, Q-rings have really caught fire. They've really become extremely popular. Here in the United States, and perhaps not as much marketing here in the United States, people don't know about it. But you've got an innovative program that's starting in a few weeks that will give people the opportunity to try Q-rings. How will that work? Yeah. So we've come up with a, uh, a test program for Q-rings. We're going to be sending key dealers throughout the continent uh, an anodized red set of chain rings. They'll have 130 BCD, they'll have 110 BCD, they'll have mountain bike chain rings as well. What that'll allow consumers to do is go past your local shop, the guys you know and trust, they'll have a set of chain rings. You can install those chain rings on your bike and that's where you're really going to feel the difference between a round ring and a Q ring. You're on a completely familiar platform and that's where you'll see, well, hey, I'm on the mountain bike and I just covered that technical climb that I've never been able to hit. How did that happen? Or I'm on my road bike and I'm hammering up this 15% grade. I always suffer like a pig on this thing. I'm still suffering. Maybe not like a pig, but I can still suffer. But what I'm seeing is lower heart rate and a slightly better time on this climb, but it's my normal bike. 
Yeah, so it really gives you that apples to apples comparison. What will people feel when they first get on the bike? Is it, um, for want of a better term, is it a bit disconcerting to them? Does it feel strange? What we see is about half of the cyclists hop on their bike and they're like, oh, hey, this is cool. Then the other half will hop on their bike and they'll have a period of adaptation where they're going to have to concentrate on unlearning the battle against a round chain ring. So again, the system's working for your legs. It's going to be a slightly different pedaling feeling, but everybody can and everybody will adapt to this. What they're going to feel when they're on the bike, certainly as they head into their first climb, is that they're going to be smoother, more on top of the gears, less fatigue. They'll notice they can stay on the uh, standing up for longer as they climb. And that's all indicative of the increased performance of a Q-ring. Now, that's all subjective. Let's talk about objective data because I, you mentioned before the science behind the product. What kinds of performance benefits do people see objectively, according to the data, when they use Q-Ring? Well, we did a recent study which was a one kilometer high exertion, uh, we called it a mini time trial situation. Uh, that's relevant because during riding you quite often have short periods of high exertion, be it a climb, be it when the peloton breaks into a sprint. It's something that happens quite a lot. And what we saw conclusively in this study is that without exception, all cyclists improved their performance riding Q-rings. We did six tests during this study. The first and the last test were always done on round rings. The four tests in the middle were done all on Q-rings. And the data is very clear. Riders are faster and they generate more power throughout this one kilometer with Q-rings without exception. The distances we saw, or excuse me, the difference in uh, times that we saw is an average of about 85 and a half seconds down to just below 84 seconds. Um, that's not going to put you a football field ahead, but it is going to keep you up with your buddies. It's going to help you get ahead a little more. As far as wattage goes, we saw averages of around 430 watts with round rings boost up to almost 450 watts with the Q rings. And again, this worked with all the cyclists, and most interestingly, with the cyclists who, after doing the test, told us, nah, that's, that's not going to work for me. You'll see, just it doesn't work. I don't like these. So, again, back to that subjective versus objective. From a subjective standpoint, they said, this didn't work. We showed them the data, and they said, oh, maybe it did. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's a question of, we're offering something that is hard to believe. We realize that. What we're doing here is we're changing cycling's culture to from the the paradigm shift from the only thing that works is a round ring to the new paradigm actually the only thing that really works is a non-circular chain ring um we, well, i asked you earlier and i want to ask you again about because you said it helps every cyclist you found that in your your tests but is this product for every cyclist who's your target market here Really, our target market is anybody who owns a bicycle with pedals on it. And it will work for everybody. There are performance benefits. And that works for the racer crowd. There's comfort benefits. That works for almost everybody. There's endurance benefits. That certainly works for everybody. There's knee strain benefits. People say you love riding, but you can't do the mileage you used to do in the past because your knees are playing up. We find the majority of people who switch to Q-rings can find their joy again in cycling. They're not suffering as they did with their knees. Nice. Okay, so if people want more information, uh, certainly on Q-rings themselves, on the entire Rotor product line, 
and also on your demo program, yep. where can they get more information? Uh, we'll be publishing more information on rotorbike.com. Uh, you'll also see snippets in the press coming up, and uh, you can always come to our website for the, the information you need. Excellent, Phil. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to giving them a try. And thank you very much. I'm uh, hoping you'll enjoy them. Well, I haven't yet had the opportunity to try Q-Rings on my bike, uh, but I am looking forward to the opportunity of doing so. If any of you out there are using Rotor, would love to hear your comments. Please send us an email uh, or even more preferably send us a voicemail so that we can uh, feature your comments on the show for the benefit of the other Fredcast listeners. Would really appreciate that. Well, in the next episode of the Fredcast, I'll have one more interview from this year's edition of Press Camp in Deer Valley, Utah. But I have coming to you now an interview that I did at Dealer Camp. Now, I have no idea how I sound in this this uh, interview, considering I did it shortly after having my shoulder surgery. So hopefully I don't sound drugged up. But as I was walking around dealer camp, I came across a product that I'd heard about before and I finally had a chance to see in person and I was impressed by it and I wanted to bring it to you. This is Sea Sucker Racks. Uh, I think it's a really innovative, unique product. And here is my interview with the folks from Sea Sucker. So we're walking around dealer camp and there's this car with just bikes hanging off every angle the side the back the top and we're talking to greg greg is from sea sucker now it's sort of a strange name to talk about bikes hanging off of the side of a car explain to everybody what sea sucker is all about uh sea sucker is a uh, basically a vacuum mount company we got our start in the marine market that's the sea part of it we made accessories for boats cup holders rod holders and the like uh and then in the last four years we've been doing bike racks for cars they attach with this super-powered vacuum mount, which means that you're not strapping, clamping, clipping onto the car, uh, completely non-marking, and it allows you to attach a rack you know, to virtually any car. Now, of course, when I looked at it, the first thing I thought of was, you know, a jewel thief trying to stick something onto a piece of glass, cut the glass out. Do you get that a lot? Oh, sure. I, you know, people ask me if I can rob banks with this, and I always say the only thing stopping me is my lack of upper body strength. So. <laughs> he said, talking to me, standing here in a sling. So, so explain to everybody, is, is this a, a solution, a temporary solution for somebody maybe who's traveling, or is this a just a, an, a full-time rack mount system uh, just for anybody who wants to mount a bike to their car it's both mm -hmm. um, you know we sell this rack uh, specifically marketed to people who want to travel with their bikes because our our single bike model what we call the talon is small enough to fit in your carry-on luggage and because it's basically universal when you get to the airport wherever you're going you take the you know the rack out of your bag and stick it on whatever car they give you mm -hmm. and then you're off to the races literally and figuratively but we're also marketing these racks for everyday use. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have a car or two cars or three cars at your disposal. One rack fits them all. And you know, use it when and how you like. And I made a joke earlier about glass, but glass is not the only surface to which you can stick this, yeah? Well, sure. It works on the metal, too. You're going to put it right on the roof. Uh, I actually attach mine to the trunk of my car at times. So basically, uh, in the surface you're going to attach to, it needs to be uh, non-porous, relatively smooth and flat. And that's pretty much, you know, what cars are made of, relatively smooth, non-porous surfaces. So perhaps for those maybe who aren't getting the visual on it, um, uh, you've got it here on, on the back of sort of a, a hatchback crossover vehicle. Uh, what other areas do you see people putting these on? 
you know, the, the, the two most common places to put it are right up on the on the rooftop, right mm-hmm. behind the front windshield. Uh, that's a nice, stable place on the roof to put it. You don't want to put it in the middle of the roof because, you know, there's not as much support under the sheet metal there. Uh, my favorite place to put it is on the back glass of a hatchback or an SUV. When you have it there, your bike is basically hanging off the back of the car. It's getting it out of the wind, and it's a whole lot easier just to lift your front forks up to, you know, the back windshield rather than lifting the whole bike up under the roof of the car. Sure. So we're talking about a fork mount, but also mm-hmm. you've, you've got the, the a similar sea sucker system for the back wheel as well for stabilization? Sure. Um, you know, the, the main power of the rack comes in the front platform where you're, you're mounting your forks into it, um, but we also uh, include with each rack what we call a rear wheel strap. Basically just keeps the back tire from going side to side when you have it on the roof, and we have upgrades to that. We'll also hold your front wheel side by side with your back tire if you don't have room in your trunk or your back seat for the front wheel. Ah, makes sense. Uh, what kind of price points are we talking about for a product like this? Uh, single bike rack, the Talon that we talked about before, retails $270. Uh, our next po- most popular model is our two bike rack, what we call the Mini Bomber, retails $400. And um, what about weight limits uh, on the rack? Is it something? Is it just for road bikes? Can we put a mountain bike on it? Can we use a tandem or a mordem? What do you think? Sure. I've had people use uh, basically all kinds of bikes. Uh, we put a 45-pound weight limit on it, mm-hmm. um, so that's you know, getting you some of your heavy-duty uh, downhill bikes. Um, you know, we we have some uh, height adapters for um, for the tandems because it has such a long wheelbase. You just want to make sure that your uh, chain ring's not getting too close to your paint job. So you got to lift up the front of the back wheel a little bit to make more space. But other than that, whatever bike you want to throw on. Sounds great, Greg. If people want more information, where can they get it? Uh, at www.csucker.com. Excellent. Thanks so much for taking the time today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. And that was Greg from Seasucker Racks. Again, you can check them out at seasucker.com. I hope you've enjoyed these interviews from earlier this summer at Press Camp and Dealer Camp. Again, more product information coming up in the next episode of the Fredcast shortly. But before we go, I do want to thank our show sponsors. Of course, as always, thank Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast, where you will get a great selection of products at phenomenal prices with unparalleled customer service. And also, we want to thank Fizari at Fizari.com, where you are going to get a top-of-the-line bicycle, uh, road bikes, mountain bikes with incredible performance, specifications, and technologies at some of the best prices you will find anywhere. Check them out at Fizari.com, F-E-Z-Z-A-R-I, and make sure you let them know you heard about it right here on the Fredcast. For show notes and links about anything that you hear right here on The Fredcast, please visit our website at www.thefredcast.com. Follow us on Facebook, if you would, for the latest information. That's facebook.com slash thefredcast. Of course, you can always follow us on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash fredcast. Or send an email. The email is thefredcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to send us an audio comment for use here on the show, you can use the little link on the right-hand side of the webpage that says send a voice message, or you can use our Fredcast listener hotline at area code 661-513-FRED. That's 661-513-3733. And as we've been doing since the very beginning of the Fredcast way back in episode number one, there's only one thing left to do, and that's to bring you this week's Podsafe Cycling Music which was chosen specifically for the Fredcast by IndoorCyclingMusic.com, the home of the weekly featured track and premium members content of weekly 30- and 60-minute cardio mixes and monthly 90-minute cardio mixes to get the world and David 
moving. You can find more information at www.indoorcyclingmusic.com. Now, this week's artist is Jill Scott. The track is called Brother. This is the Inferno Mix. And according to indoorcyclingmusic.com, they love using this track in a spin class about halfway up a long climb because the words are just like that little voice inside you helping to push you along. So if you would, get ready, click play when you are right in the middle of that difficult climb and use Jill Scott's and indoorcyclingmusic.com's music to get you to the top of the hill. That's it for this week's episode of the Fredcast. I'm back very shortly with another product-related episode, but between this show and the next, enjoy the music. But most of all, enjoy the ride. And bless. 